Welcome to the Heart of Soul podcast, an exploration of who you are, what you are, and why you are, offering new ways to investigate age-old questions at the heart of you. Hi, it's Joseph, and thanks for listening to the Heart of Soul podcast. The realization du jour that we explore today is that you are missing out on the vast majority of reality on emotive and spiritual levels. We discuss what it's like to read unconscious emotional motives and why most people don't see them, how the backlighting of non-duality changes your experience of truth, how abiding with divinity changes your experience of meaning, and of course, much more. We begin with a question from one of our listeners about the challenges of breaking technology with one's own energy field, a very real problem that many people have. If that's, uh, if that's you, then sorry, and hopefully this helps. Thanks for listening. Well, greetings and welcome forward, everybody. This is, I'm quite confident, episode 68, give or, to- give or take one or two or 67. It doesn't matter. Hi, Stace. <laughs> it doesn't matter. Yes. But I'm excited, though, because it really hit me today. Like, we're really putting together a body of work here, and yeah. it feels mm-hmm. really good. It's like... Um, it's like collaborating on a book or something. It's, it's really fun. Funny you say that because um, it's such a wonderful, for me personally, counterpoint to um, all the books I've written, which will be out for print next year sometime, uh, 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 to be able to speak instead of write. Uh, I, I write, so I'm writing alone, but when I write, I'm trying to write to the world in a way that I can try to translate what I want to say to them. And it's hard work uh, to yeah. simplify it. And, but speaking is much easier to simplify because I can hear myself and feel the impact on P on listeners, which I can't quite do as well when I'm pen to paper yeah. as it. So I love, I love these things. It is a body of work. You're exactly right. Yeah. So it's a pleasure to be a part of it. Thank you listeners for listening because we can feel it there's been in the last couple <laughs> yes. of weeks an upswell we love your feedback yeah. so okay. when i get emails and or there's facebook shares or whatever that is a a shot in the arm for us we're we're both very driven on our own but that doesn't mean that your feedback uh isn't a help and it spins the wheel and and keeps me going for sure we like it so thanks absolutely uh we my whole life uh uh, mostly if I factor him all the time in as an upcoming 72 year old, uh, I've had a very <laughs> laughable. You, you so don't look or seem 70. I have a neighbor who's your age and he acts like 20 years older than you do, whatever that means. Just like, yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, and, and so I, I've struggled to find audiences for what, what the hell I'd like to share. And so mm-hmm. the podcast is a dream come true for me. Um, I never was able to um, rely on book sales uh, in the past to uh, keep me afloat, to keep us afloat. Uh, so this to me, even if it's not paid, is uh, so such a gift to me to be able to unload from a presence point of view instead of a abstracted language uh, on paper uh, yeah. point. Yeah, nice. So, well, speaking of um, listener feedback, I got a question from someone whose uh, name I didn't ask permission to use, but uh, she'll know that it's her. And the question was about six chakra, third eye type stuff and technology problems, um, breaking okay. technology and uh, what causes that? What can be done about it? What does identity say about it? Um, well, 
um, it's easy to put the tail on the donkey of third eye uh, as the cause, mm -hmm. um, but it's certainly the the um, most, like we could say, the the most um, effusive generator of an otherwise um, uh, uh, a soul field of a certain person whose um, gifts, uh, especially in third eye, but not exclusively, uh, can screw with um, technology. Uh, I, I learned this about myself many years ago. Uh, I was really angry uh, 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 at one point in, in a relationship, and I went to a gas station uh, and uh, in Oregon, which you, you, you can't can pump your, your own gas. Well, you can't pump your own gas, but <laughs> I didn't wait. I was so pissed. Uh, oh. I, I, didn't, I couldn't wait. He was real, was really busy. So I, I was in a far part of the thing and there was a little wall there. So I, I did it myself. Oh. Uh, and uh, when I did, um, it just uh, stopped. Mm -hmm. and I, I went to another one that was right next to it and it stopped. And I thought, oh, well, they've got a fail safe on there. And then the person came around and says, hey, you know, you're not supposed to be do this yourself. I said, yeah, well, your pump's already shut off. Well, no, they don't shut off. Uh, <laughs> so that was my first realization that my field was so upset and dissonant, um, it, it screwed with the technology. Well, I, that got me more pissed. So mm -hmm. I drove to the grocery store and did some shopping, got to the electronic um, gas register, and uh, com just completely went offline and started doing goofy things uh, because my field was still interfering with the electronics of the cash, the cash machine. Uh, so this kind of thing is not unusual uh, for powerful beings when they're in, uh, when they've got a lot of juice in their soul field, especially third eye, non-visible, non non-measurable dynamical bandwidths. When you're upset and especially emotionally, uh, uh, it, it will really, it can really knock out uh, stuff. I was just working with someone this morning a little while ago. And uh, this poor person, uh, <laughs> everything we tried uh, uh, wouldn't work until I made the the person was trying to come through Zoom, trying to come through Signal, trying to come through uh, 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 WhatsApp. Uh, person, nothing worked until I made. I dialed this person, uh -huh. and then worked. The author of the dial uh, is the one where it interferes. So um, interesting. Uh, in that way. Uh, so that just happened to me today. So whoever asked this, um, what to do about it, um, not a bloody lot, uh, from my point of view, except to realize if that, if you do tend to do that, what a powerful being you are, mm -hmm. uh, that's the first thing. Congratulations. I would say to this person, if they, if they, if they are capable of doing that, it means, um, you have bandwidths of consciousness that, uh, don't fit into the bandwidths of social contracts that uh, we on the planet have been all ma uh, malconditioned to define as relationality, right? Mm -hmm. So uh, you're you're outside the box, and you're then uh, affecting technology that is supposed to be inside of certain bandwidths of reliability and predictability. Mm -hmm. It so, seems uh, like, in my experience, it's it's definitely not uncommon. It seems to me, in my experience, it's been it tends to be more women than men. Do you think there's any yes, truth to that? Why would that be? Yeah. Well. Um, we as yang-based beings can segment uh, states of consciousness much yeah. more easily, whereas yin-based beings, especially gifted spiritualized yin-based beings, they, they go whole being 
this moment, then whole being the next moment, the next moment. They, they can't segmentize where we can somehow compartmentalize. I'm pissed. Okay. I can take a breath. And all of a sudden it's much easier for me to be completely different than what I feel if I so choose. Um, but women, uh, especially spiritualized women, why they can't do that so easily bless their purity of uh, soulful being. Bless their whole hearts. Yeah. And of course, this is yeah. probably why witches, why intuitive women got in so much trouble. The only experience yeah. I think I ever had with it, and I have a pretty good third eye, but I don't have much experience breaking things. But in my early 20s, I worked in a copy center as part in a private company where there were we were running the copy machines like all day. So there was huge amounts of volume, several machines. And I distinctly noticed that when I was in a better mood, they jammed a lot less. Like I could have done a study on it. If I was in a bad mood, I was clearing jams like every 20 or 30 minutes. If I was in a good mood, it could go all day without a single jam. And oh, that, that was unmistakable. Yeah. I think I probably around that time learned some better control. Not that that's necessarily a good thing, but I right. learned to segment when I saw that. And, yeah. um, but, uh, I knew a woman who would break light bulbs. I mean, it doesn't get much more oh. definitive than that. Like the light bulb would just go out, you know, for sure. angry. So yeah, yeah. It's, a, it's a real thing. That's it's a real that's thing. Fun. And it doesn't mean the person's possessed, uh, <laughs> no. uh, as it, as it would have been in the past. Um, or, uh, um, a, a woman, a woman in the, in the days when they were burning women for being more conscious than the men in black of Catholicism, <laughs> right. Uh, just because they were more advanced, uh, uh, they, they, they could, it was palpably generative, uh, for people to feel and perceive the presence they had or the gifts they had. Oh, Satan's in your eyes. No, that's just their gifts coming through their eyes. Mm -hmm. So you're exactly uh, right, much more so uh, with gifted, spiritualized women than men. If I recall correctly, you don't wear a watch for that reason. Yeah, I learned the hard way. Thanks for reminding me. It's been so long. I got gifts when I was uh, in high school graduation. I got a, a watch and I never wore it. And I got a really nice watch, um, uh, but 15 years ago, really beautiful. Well, not so expensive, but beautiful. And I can't wear them. I, I put them on and 20 minutes later, they stopped working. Even <laughs> even digitized watches don't work on me. I, I can't wear... Uh, I can wear a wedding ring. I can wear, um, you know, uh, this this kind of thing uh, because there's no uh, circuitry in it. No but moving parts. In, yeah, and, and, and I would like to get a, an eye watch uh, to um, to uh, uh, check uh, breathing and heart rate, heart rate, and that kind of thing. Um, but uh -huh. I'm afraid I, <laughs> that won't work either. So yeah, I'm doomed. I can't wear watches uh, or any circuitry on my body. So certainly there are some aspects of this that are wound based and can be healed, but are you saying that in some cases not, or it's yeah. hard to know? I, I'm saying it's not a bad thing to have to heal. I'm just, uh, I, I want to re reframe it completely as congratulations. What a powerful being you are. Uh, and if it, if it's happening to you, try to, and it aggravates you try to, um, positify it, not as a layering over of what you feel, feel what you feel, but then, um, after you're done feeling it, um, congratulate yourself and say, well, um, rather than something is wrong with me that I do this reverse it. Well, there's something limiting about technology that doesn't fit for me. And so just, just as that's not narcissism, that's just owning your being as having qualities that don't quite fit in with this world. And for that, 
you deserve a congratulations. Mm. And then that creates a space inside of which healing can happen. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. You've got to affirm not just feeling the negative feelings, but to context them after you feel them, not instead of feeling them, context them with what's, what's, what is it that's positive? It's just to live into a question. What's positive about this? That's just as important as what's negative about this. What's the source that I need to heal? What's positive about it? And, and now that's all a, of that. Yeah, that's a really interesting fork in the road where we're talking about the truth that is the essence of positive psychology. Uh, yes. Not the expression of it. No. But no. The, 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 we would say that saying yes to it and accepting whatever is entirely and seeing it in some positive light is a prerequisite for dealing with the uh, wound basis of it, whereas psych- positive psychologist leaves it as see it positively, the end. Yes. Right. <laughs> repeat right. as necessary. <laughs> <laughs> Rinse and repeat. Rinse yeah. and repeat. Yeah. And it's important to stress here that it's not, as NLP would say, it's not just about hmm. saying it or energizing its truth. It's about feeling, feeling the positivity of it. Yeah. Uh, because it's just, it's always in there. And that's another sub fork in the same fork of the road uh, mm-hmm. is to feel that positively as deep as you feel that which needs perhaps need to, needs to be addressed and healed. Okay. So yeah. Great, great question. Yeah. Sorry, and I can't I can't help I can't help you cure it. <laughs> yes, yes. There's no exercise. It's a that's a long term thing. I know from a number of people who've done yeah. a lot of EBE and it it, it can yeah. it often improves relatively quickly, yes. but it doesn't necessarily disappear. Yeah. Okay, so on to our fourth realization, which I promised mm-hmm. last time. Look at that. I just want to highlight we're actually going to talk about what I said last time we were going to talk about. So there, there's some linearity for you. That's yes, uh, we're not we're not addicted to rabbit holes. That's, that's a good way to right. say it. Right? Yeah, we're willing to not have them. They're not medications. Uh, but I don't know. We'll we'll see. We'd have to maybe do a, a forced demat of them for six episodes, and it'd be interesting to see what happened. But it wouldn't be fun. Okay, so this fourth one is uh, that you're missing out on the vast majority of reality on emotional and spiritual. I guess I should say emotive and spiritual uh, levels. Yes. Oh, great, 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 uh, great, great uh, reframe there. I'll yes. change it to emotive. emotive. That's the deepest. Where should we yeah. start with this? This is a big topic. It's a big topic. Um, well, first and foremost, um, we can say that uh, the vast majority of reality on emotive uh, levels is um, precisely because emotion has always been in some form defined as a weird, sticky form of thought or of mind. Uh, And so uh, when we are taught that I think, therefore I am, old Renee's um, standby, uh, or I have a body, therefore I am, or uh, I I is non-dual, therefore I is not, or I am worthy before God, uh, I am unworthy before God, therefore I am worthy before God. One of the most dastardly metaphysical tricks of all time right there. I yes, I, I am wor- I am wor- unworthy of God, therefore I'm worthy of God. Mm-hmm. If you orient to any one of those three or four orientations, which is basically 99% of uh, how we unconsciously operate out of some of of one of those four or five, three or four, um, we're going to miss the fact that emotivity itself, the capacity to have emotions and feelings, 
um, is our primary uh, aspect of human consciousness. This is such a radical uh, uh, um, confrontation of all the other I blank, therefore I am blank um, orientations of consciousness. It's an entirely different bedrock of foundation to uh, primarily assert <laughs> that uh, we are emotive beings first before we're ever uh, willful, mental, physical beings, and also energetic, which is an interesting thing to talk about also at some mm. point. You know, just for some reason, I'm reminded of uh, that the at the old center, uh, no, before the center, when we were doing places, uh, doing seminars and stuff in your home in, in, uh, in Oregon, the little mm -hmm. chalkboard you had in there with a quote on it, when people would, that was one of my favorite parts of those days where you'd walk in and be putting your stuff down and there'd be a, this kind of, um, not quite, I don't know what the word is, not ominous, but auspicious, like here is the yes. thing to be, th it was always challenging and I remember vividly and I always wrote them down and I remember this one, it said, what you don't see in yourself you will not see or exaggerate in others. Uh, and that's a really succinct way of talking about how we screen reality out uh, on an emotive level. Yes. But so when we say it was so beautifully summarized in these in this uh, number four here, Joseph, that you put together in words, is uh, that the degree we are out of touch of our own emotional primacy of being is what we're going to miss, not only in all the dimensions of emotivity in ourselves, but you'll also miss it in others. You'll take them at face value of what they say or what they believe or how they act, as opposed to what's driving their thinking or their actions or their outcomes. Yes, right. And this is kind of a controversial part of identity, because when you get really facile with seeing your own originally hidden um, unconscious motivations, the more you yeah. get to know your formerly unconscious motivations, you start to see other people's hidden unconscious motives. Yes. And they don't. And yes. then, and then you, you can't tell someone what they're being unconsciously motivated by, even if they've hired you to tell them, you've got to be careful with that, but you certainly can't do that in peer relationships. And so people will get very pissed like, Hey, you can't yeah. tell me what I'm feeling. You can't tell me yeah. what I'm thinking. And it's like, well, uh, um, maybe I shouldn't, but I definitely could. Yes. That's a great way to put it. Shouldn't, but you can. And this is, this is not third eye mediated. Mm -hmm. This is fourth chakra media. Oh, is it? I didn't even, I, yeah, it makes sense. Yeah. Mm -hmm. If this is not ESP, the more you feel an un, un, un and darken your access to your own real emotive states that then are the, uh, your own emotivity, which is the capacity to have emotions. Uh, they, once they become patent, you can't help but sense them from here and other people. So it might not be PC, uh, uh, to say, um, I know what you're feeling in ways that you don't, but it's, that doesn't make it untrue. Yeah. And there has to be an auspicious and very carefully respecting boundaries kinds of thing, especially when you're helping people uh, facilitate them. You can't really do that. But in peer relationship, it's just as hard because you may absolutely know a partner, that your intimate partner is in the throes of a, um, a, a wounded uh, emotive state. Uh, but if you start with that, all you'll do is further alienate the bond uh, transaction. Yeah, for sure. So uh, even though even if even if 
<laughs> and especially if you're right. Um, <laughs> In which case, yes. And now you've got to deal with, for me, what that brings up is I'm alone with my truth. I'm alone in reality. Nobody listens. I'm invisible. That's the trigger. And and the more right you are, the more difficult it is to keep your mouth shut. Exactly right. And that's where Joseph and I share this um, uh, uh, addiction in varying degrees and varying domains. Mm -hmm. But we're addicted to our truths. uh, And... uh, uh, a part of us has learned to be addicted to our truths to be the only way to self-define. Mm-hmm. And so and most of the time, our truths are 90, at least in the 90 percentile of being accurate. They're right, uh, en- they're right enough of the time to make it really difficult to have space yeah. around it when no one agrees with you. That's for sure. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> so it, it, it behooves us to go one step meta here and, mm-hmm. and, and uh, especially in the emotional state, but it's also spiritual. We'll get to it in a moment is that um, we start, we've been t- malconditioned to start everything with a conscious intention, okay? mm-hmm. a conscious intention. And that is an energetic um, uh, um, dynamic, even if there's some feelings around it. Uh, I, um, I intend to make my partner feel good by um, cooking dinner tonight and having flowers on the table when she gets home from work. Good house husband that I am, right? Oh, yeah. And so... That's the intention, and uh, uh, and then the intention, the conscious intention, act, actuates an action, which actuates and creates an outcome. And you want that outcome in that in that particular example to be, bring a smile uh, to your beloved and and that she will feel loved or cared for by you. But that's where how we're malconditioned: conscious intention, action, behavior, and outcome. Identity steps in and says, hold your horses. Uh, There is an unconscious motivation level prior to the conscious intention that shapes that conscious intention, either healthily or unhealthily, depending on whether that unconscious emotion motivation is a wound based or not wound based. And that unconscious motivation, because we are emotive beings first, is always emotional. Whereas the conscious intention is usually energetic with some feelings associated with it. So um, if you drop out um, emotivity as a primary, you will also lose track the fact that the unconscious shapes the conscious until the conscious realizes how much the unconscious shapes the conscious. Yet not the conscious can override the unconscious, which is what all of behavioral psychology attempted to do and all the self-empowerment paradigms, Tony Mm -hmm. Robbins, NLP, et cetera. It doesn't, it's not overridable because Um, it's upstream. Exactly. The downstream part of the river uh, can't purify a, uh, 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 yeah, you can clean the down. You You can can clean the water downstream of the pollution source a little, but never completely. That's the problem. That's exactly, that's the metaphor. Thank you, sir. Mm -hmm. Uh, so in that sense, uh, we miss a whole slab of reality, self reality in that Mm -hmm. sense. Mm -hmm. If we're not aware or help to be made aware of our unconscious motives for what could be just stellar conscious motives, Give me a wound-based motivation, uh, unconscious motivation for that scenario I just did uh, that you want to make do these things to make your beloved feel uh, um, uh, uh, cared for. Uh, what, what, what unconscious motivation could be operating in such a scenario? 
Oh, a parent projection, a parent who uh, trained the kid that their emotional needs was the kid's responsibility. And so um, they're uh, in order to be happy, they have an altruistic, I must serve others in order to get what I need dynamic going on. That's be the most common, I would think. You bet. Um, And that's why until you deconstruct uh, your childhood, which by the way, uh, um, if you don't do, will never allow you to be whole in the present adult. Um, uh, But in ways, deconstructing it, EBE uh, identity offers ways to deconstruct your child in a completely different way than psychology does, any kind of psychology, because it starts with a different definition of human consciousness. So it has a different interventional dharma uh, for it. But uh, I was thinking, actually, where my head head is today. uh, Well, um, I I looked in the mirror. Here's an unconscious motivation. I looked in the mirror today after getting out of the shower and uh, perhaps someone, a man, the man was doing this. He saw that uh, he had a, a, his belly was sticking out a little further and it made him feel insecure about being desirable. So he wanted to do this whole thing, this conscious intention then to make all this, make the woman feel good so maybe they would have sex afterward and make him feel less uh, uh, um, unattractive. Uh Mm -hmm. So those kinds of things, there's a whole world of unconscious motivations, impossible underlying our conscious intentions. And key to say there, if that were the motive, that does not set up a stage for real love to move between the two people. Yes. Because it, the, the, the relational space is cluttered with the unconscious need from, which I believe we talked about recently, which cl- clutters the space so that the need with, which is real love, can't actually happen. And someone out there, I don't know if I'm third eyeing this, who's going to listen to this, uh, what <laughs> Joseph just said, well, what the hell do you do with that? And uh, <laughs> here's the farthest downline solution to that horrible tainting that Joseph just said, you know, beautifully uh, taints the whole thing as makes, takes it into unreality. You do nothing. You notice because you've done enough inner work. Oh, I looked, I, I looked myself in the mirror. I don't feel very desirable. Oh God, an old part of me would want. So you don't do anything. Wait till your beloved comes home and, uh, and you pull her aside after she gets settled in and you say, listen, something happened to me. I, Today, I looked at myself in the mirror, saw I had a big belly, and uh, I, I was feeling insecure about my, my desirability today. So I, I saw myself wanting to um, uh, cook for you and have roses for you uh, to um, uh, maybe you would then uh, feel good enough to assure me in some sexual way, perhaps, uh, that I'm desirable. And uh, I, wanna, I just wanted to share that with you. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's what I wanted to do. Now, there is the complete um, positive photographic negative of Mm -hmm. uh, what Joseph just described there. And if you are that kind of person, you will likely have drawn a kind of partner who will then want to have sex with you because you were so honest and vulnerable. And possibly also add... Yeah, you know, um, I probably would have been hooked by that because of my own unconscious wounds where I was trained to please my father and be yes. thin, nice and pretty and do all the things in order to be accepted. And now I feel relieved. I can just be myself. And now I feel even closer to you. That's what we would want as the outcome. Beautiful. Beautifully said. And there for listeners, 
that's what can you which could not happen that positive reframe of what on both sides could not happen unless you learned to to, to uh, a way to find your unconscious wounded motivations which is why we say we are all responsible for the contents of our of our uh, unconscious which is one of our points we'll get to in a much bigger way later on mm-hmm. so in that sense um, a whole raft of bandwidths a whole world of emotional bandwidths you know, of reality is missed while we are starting only with conscience conscious intentions which all self-help stuff starts with make that commit to that intention and they are completely oblivious about the unconscious motivation that makes to gets all that going. I have another um, example of this that's happening, unfolding right now, which is about the uh, fire in Lahaina. Um, as oh, many yeah. of you know, I live on Maui, about an hour from Lahaina, which is mostly you know eighty percent plus burned down, and mm-hmm. it's all coming out now. The root issues here. Um, there was no stopping the fire, but the um, how it was handled and how it continues to be handled yes. could be better and has been bad. And yes. uh, uh, partially motivated by my own truth medication, I wrote <laughs> almost 3,000 words about the root cause of all this in the last few wow. days. And I've been wow. talking to people on Facebook and whatnot about it. I just published it on my list and on LinkedIn today. Pointing to, and it was, there was the truth med was operating and the anger in me about it. But then when I started to turn this into, I'm going to present this to the world uh-huh. and challenge some value systems that actually right. made it scary for me, uh-huh. then that sort of made it okay for me. And the, the, the root diagnosis that I offered, speaking of like the aspects of reality that are not seen to most, is yeah. the collectivistic values in the Hawaiian culture. Yes. Which oh, is yes. just like, if your inner reality is, I don't know, a little bit significantly clean and clear, you just can't not see this. So yes. it came out today, I was already writing about this, and then it came out today that the guy, the chief emergency someone guy, whatever the guy who's in charge of um, of Maui emergencies, it's he's being looked at as completely unqualified for the job. And um, uh, how did he get the job? Because of who he knows. Because he's part of the ohana, the Hawaiian word for family, which translates into connection and harmony and people that you know doing well is more important than competence. And that is everywhere on this island. And everyone who lives here knows it. The the corruption is... It's it's not even malevolent. It's just like, oh, well, of course we put him in this job. And then I found out in the course of reading this article, because and I, I'll, I promise I'll just do a high level of it. You, you, I think I've told you about this, but our, our, our listeners should hear some of this, this insanity. I live on a dirt road. It is legally classified by Maui County as, quote, an old government road. Mm-hmm. That means it belongs to the old government that does not exist anymore. So the neighbors don't own it. The county doesn't own it. It's an old government road. So that means nobody alive owns this road. It is, it is legislatively disowned, right? Wow. So, to so get, improvements? Yeah, improvements? They take no responsibility. It is written in the code that is not only is it not the county's responsibility, but we all pay property taxes here. 
not only is it legislated that it's not their responsibility, but it's legislated that if they do something to help the road, that is not an expression of ownership, nor will they be held liable. So getting the neighbors around here organized to put money into it is like herding cats. So what happens is myself and three or four other neighbors at the end of the road, those of us who drive the most of the road, we ended yeah. up funding all of the road improvements. I'm actually the treasurer of that little mini organization. There is a bridge on this road that is like <laughs> at least, I don't know, 80, 100, maybe more years than that old. It yeah. has cracks underneath it and exposed rebar. It's called spalling. The rebar is rusting. A few mm -hmm. years ago, that kind of spalling destroyed a condo in Hawaii, in, in uh, Florida, and killed almost 100 people. Yes. That's happening to, to this bridge. If a fire engine needed to come down here or an ambulance or if there were a fire down here, it would cut us all off. We would be stranded. We could walk yes. on a different path, but we'd be stranded. I sent 30 emails and like 20 phone calls to the director of public works when we started to realize this bridge was failing. She did not respond at all whatsoever, no response at all. Guess what? She's the wife of this chief emergency guy. <laughs> her qualifications, most of her life, she was an elementary school teacher. Now she's not even director of public works anymore. So this is the underlying. So, but what are you going to do? It's like, okay, well, you know, could they back burn and could Maui Electric have turned the power off as soon as the poles started to fall, which they definitely should have as soon as or there turned were turned on the 80s sirens. Yeah. Uh, which they didn't, didn't do. And they're like, oh, uh, but the, the people might've thought that the sirens meant uh, a, a tsunami and they would have run uphill. And then you go to the, the, the county website or the state website, I forget which, and it says the sirens can mean any of the following and it includes fires. Or maybe you put in a second siren if you think it might be confusing. You know, any of these things that would actually be your job. Yeah. And then, so all of how they're handling it has just been screw up after screw up after screw up. But what there is not an appreciation for is the very yeah. essence of this goes down to, as we talked recently about, it goes down to the very values that the, and it's understandable because the it's basically an occupied territory by the United States. And yes. locals feel um, deeply hurt and, and victimized because of that. And so they, what happens when you persecute a people? They get together and stick together for dear life and they focus on what sticks them together. And yes. if keeping locals in these kinds of government jobs does that and makes them feel better, that's what they're going to do. Yeah. And it leads to a completely incompetent government. And we should expect nothing to change unless that issue is addressed. Makes me crazy. Wow. wow. Yeah. Joseph, that was so beautiful, a deconstruction of, um, of a current, literally hot and tragic topic. Uh, and, and, I'd like to uh, just nibble at a couple of adjoining rabbit holes of that. Mm -hmm. And that is what Joseph's uh, um, tirade, which I feel <laughs> is completely reasonable, uh, because underneath that, his truth about all that is care, yeah, caring for the humans that didn't, may maybe 50 less people would have died had there been a competent overview of the whole system, right? So that's what's driving Joseph's uh, um, uh, 
some of, sort of mania and has it also drives some of my mania. It's not about egotism or needing to be right. It's about caring. And you know, it's, it's um, it, it is. Thank you for that. And it's like the desk count just eclipsed a hundred today, and it's going to be near a thousand based on how many people are still missing. But you know yeah. what? What? And I see so many stories on Facebooks, and I've got friends of friends who've lost people, and so I'm seeing all of this in my various feeds. But what really hits me because in some ways they're more innocent, is the reports and the pictures of burned pets. Yeah. Because yeah. the people didn't have time to collect anything, much less their cats and dogs. Yes. And so there's the Humane Society is filled with, I think, uh, I can't remember, it was at least 300, maybe even more, thousands. People are finding these burned pets, these innocent beings. Yeah. And it's, it's just like the idea that, that, because of these smaller things that never get addressed, that you can't get anything done with the government here in a single phone call or a single email, that it takes this grinding persistence because of how inefficient it is. If if that resulted in, in any more suffering than was necessary, that's just not okay. Yeah, exactly right, Joseph. Well said. Okay, so I want to go, I want to nibble at another rabbit hole, and that is that um the of a much bigger uh, problem in our world today that's been politicized and that is um, what everything that joseph said is true of tribal collectivism mm -hmm. consciousness right um, especially occupied tribal consciousness as you, as joseph said um, but tribal consciousness uh where is not being criticized here Right. Uh, there are magical, mystical dynamics to um, the the Hawaiian. Um, uh, uh, all, what's the magic called? I mana. always forget. Mana. So much mana. Mm -hmm. My wife and I know about this road Joseph was talking about in his metaphor uh, for the incompetency, uh, and I thought the same thing as soon as we went over it. My God, I'm always looking that way. I used to go to Puerto Vallarta one couple times uh, in my younger years. And I, we're so far, uh, far from the airport, if there was something that stopped the road, we would be trapped in Puerto Vallarta and never be able to get to the airport home. Mm -hmm. Same principle here. But there are there is a mana, so much mana in tribalism that that the white occupiers have no clue about. And, and Joseph himself is a mystic uh, <laughs> from the ground up. But the, here he is a perfect example, and so am I, of mystics who also inhabit caring as competency. Mm -hmm. In other words, the competency in this world is not usually based in caring. It's based in willful Will. yeah. uh, self-glory self, um, or something. Mm. Um, but in our world, competency and caring are indivisible. So do they, do they, does all the mana and the mystical basis of the Hawaiian tribes that were um, uh, completely occupied by the United States, is there value to that? There is. But where, where tribal collectivism meets uh, uh, um, uh, non-tribal competency requirements, here is the zone that, that Joseph is talking about that does not fit. Mm -hmm. And so there's truth on both sides is what I wanted to bring here. Um, there's no rundown of the mysticality, but we are walking examples, Joseph and I, um, of mystics who, who, who hold themselves to caring competency and by extension hold others to that when it fails.
So, and last rabbit hole in this, uh, white nationalism, MAGA type uh, distortions of consciousness, um, use this very um, this very argument as racist uh, for non-white um, uh, tribal or non-white cultures who never didn't instigate um, mechanization and industrialization. Mm. And, uh, and, and thereby justify that the white uh, race in that way that did start initiate undeniably all the mechanization and all the industrialization that's resulted in our modern world, good and bad effects, um, that we're the true, the whites are the true leaders of the world. They use this exact kind of tribal uh -huh. separation, it's like individualism in service. Mm -hmm. Exactly. They 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 will say that they they should appreciate the occupiers for bringing roads and industrialization to your agrarian culture. Yes, and be careful here. Uh, mm -hmm. So they use this very thing that Joseph so heartfully um, confronted. In a very in a racist way, literally a racist way, that justifies MAGA uh, type uh, worldviews um, that uh, the brown anything uh, the brown and the black darker races are just tribal and didn't start their cultures didn't start mechanization, but there's room in the world for both of us. Uh, the the non-white uh, tribal orientations where where so much of the non-religious uh, magical spirituality has happened and mm -hmm. can't translate to the modern world. It's not often said this way. Last point: identity is trying to be that bridge mm -hmm. to to bring the value of um, pre-rational, uh, pre-egoic cultural magic and spirituality can coexist with egoic level um, uh, dynamicals of civilization, and in this case, competence. You can be both. There's no way to be both in there are current paradigms of our planet. But this is one of the, un, we don't really speak to this much. One of the contributions identity has is to make those, to bridge that, to span that bridge, that chasm between pre-industrial societies no matter the amount of melanin in the skin uh, yeah. and, and, and more industrialized uh, uh, consciousness, that there's a way for those to coexist and have the positives of both. Because a positive, last point, the positive industrial mechanization version would be to be aware of the impact mm -hmm. that such development would have on the agrarian tribalism and make that part of the, jo the joint um, uh, 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 a joint project to improve everything on Hawaii and on Hawaii in this case without losing the magic. Mm -hmm. But the white the whites tend to be superiorize themselves that way. Then the non-whites are the tribal. In this case, I, uh, uh, when I was there visiting, Bree and I were visiting Joseph uh, and his and his woman uh, is is beloved there. Uh, we, we came across a direct person who hated us because we were tourists ruining uh, uh, the, the virgin land of uh, Hawaii. So this is a, a, an impasse that can be solved with an emotional, emoto, soulful yeah. uh, aspect of consciousness first. Yeah, the, the colonists, as it were, need to own the invasiveness and the um, economic oppression that they've imposed. And yes. the um, the local populations have to um, 
take responsibility for their woundedness and the victimhood expressions of it. And, yes. and there can be a working together thing, but there's just this giant divide. And I've, yeah. I've experienced plenty of racism um, personally because it's uh, uh, white people are the minority here. And, right. um, you know, and, and so I've, I've valued the experience to have that experience. Like, oh, this is what it's like to be brown in the United States. That's interesting and valuable. Um, but yeah, it's, reverse reverse racism. Yeah, basically. I mean, what they call reverse racism, yes. which is very right. white focused and of it into itself. Yes. But uh, yeah. yeah, I mean, I remember, uh, I don't know if I mentioned that on this podcast once, but uh, it was a Chinese or Japanese, I think it was, I think it was Chinese. Um, it was looking for a place to rent years and years ago here. And uh, I said she had a couple different buildings and she'd mentioned the rent on one place and not the rent uh, cost on another. I said, how much are you renting that for? And she said, well, I don't want to talk money with you because you're Jewish and you'll out negotiate me. <laughs> I was frozen. I did not know what to say. I was like, wow, I kind of like left my body a little bit and was like, you know, she's a potential landlord, so I don't want to like get into a conflict with her but it was like oh so that's what it's like wow yeah exactly uh, another time a, a white woman who has, has lived here a really long time said to me once uh, one of these days i gotta pick your jewish brain and get some help with my finances and i said so Jesus. yeah i was like so it's the it's the first of all the judaism's in my brain and uh -huh. that's why I'm good with money. Is that where you get where you're getting that oh from? Oh, and she's like, so, "Oh no, no!" But I'm oh. saying something good. Oh, so if it's good and it's like ethnicity or race based, then it's okay. Like, oh, so confused. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Wow, that, that was a beautiful um, way to to um, bring forward the unconscious motives lying in tribal consciousness uh, yeah. that had a. a a hugely deleterious effect on life and limb. And uh, one more thing about that, the, the, the tribal consciousness is like consensus based, right? So in an emergency, you need a fucking hierarchy. You know, yes. there needs to be someone at the top that says, this is the deal. This is what we're going to do. And right. I think it was, I don't know, three, four days ago when the fires were mostly contained, the cops went back and forth like three times on the road to Lahaina. They opened it and then they closed it and then they opened it and they closed it. And you can see videos of people, the, the crowds are like just giving them such a hard time because like make up your minds. And there's this one video of a cop with a megaphone saying, we're no longer giving, they'd set up this whole placard thing where you have to have a certain placard to go out there. It proves you live there and whatever. And they're on the megaphone and the cop is saying, yeah, we're not giving out any more placards sorry there are powers that be i know you're disappointed but like where's the reasoning where's the sense where's the hierarchy of this is what yeah. we're doing and why we're doing it and last thing i'll shut up about this um four days ago the um it was announced i think it was the governor josh green said uh don't come to maui everybody's saying don't come to maui take your vacation elsewhere you know we don't want you here it's not not a good time and then three days after that it said okay well you can come but just stay away from west maui like really guys like is that so hard to sort out what the plan's going to be maybe you should have thought about this six months or six years ago how you would handle an emergency like this if it were to happen given you know what how did they handle it? hurricane aniki that happened in 94 or so on Kauai? like they must have made decisions about tourism then did you not yeah. come up with a plan like why are you making this up as you go along now it's not what people need oh thanks for bringing that dimension in because you're exactly right uh consensus 
collectivism um, is ill-suited to the challenges of a modern society. Mm-hmm. And if you in, if you're triggered, if people are triggered by the um, the word hierarchy uh, in in some industrialized context, uh, replace it with responsibility. Because everything that Joseph said using the word hierarchy was someone take responsibility for decision making and that that decision making process is cogent and that here's how it should unfold in this and this situation. Who's who's in charge? When when the when the king or uh, or the queen of the of of the Hawaiian culture is no longer the ultimate authority, it's it's um, just consensus circularity. There's no linear uh, uh, um, way to bandwidth uh, uh, emergency uh, interventions. Yeah. So responsibility is what we're talking about here. Yeah. And so let's complete uh, that. That we just we talked a lot about the emotional, and this was an emotive, energetic of a of a of a collective culture uh, that feels itself uh, as a community first, and not individuals first. And we live in a world now, modern society, uh, um, with uh, with the U.S. and France just a few years later, um, uh, uh, constitutionally making the individual. The uh, the unit of uh, reverence and uh, focus, not the collective. Uh, so, in that sense, um, uh, what we well, how we can do because the question here or the your statement says that we're missing the vast majority of reality on emotional and spiritual levels. Yeah, let's go to the spiritual. Yeah, now. yeah for sure. Um, and and it's based on here's identity's offering. You can like it or not like it. It's, it's up to you. We don't care. Um, we just put out what we do. Uh, we would like it if you did, because it would make a uh, feels like it would make a better world. But um, we really are, don't know. <laughs> we really don't know. But anyway, um, we I I've over the years made one word out of this now: emoto soulful. Um, mm-hmm. We are emoto soulful beings first. A distinction between emotivity and spirituality is tenuous. Um, uh, you, you can't unlink those two. And here's what it's based on, not just Stace's opinion, um, but that when you learn that divinity is not an angry and jealous God, as virtually as Judaism, Islam, and Christianity all maintain, we're, we're incepted in a time where the, the, the male God is angry and jealous. Um, and you have to fear God um, uh, uh, because of its wrath and power. Judaism uh, pioneered that uh, orientation. Mm-hmm. And so in that sense, uh, uh, but all, uh, on, in contrast, all the non-religious great spiritual teachers aver that divinity, God, is love. Not an angry, angry, jealous God. I mean, jealousy is only possible to emotionally wounded people who are not whole in themselves, so they're jealous. Well, so when Yahweh is jealous that the Hittites or whatever, not the Hittites, the, um, uh, uh, I always forget, the, the uh, Semites? Sem- I can't uh, remember. Non-Jewish uh, um, societies were threatening uh, early uh, Judaism, Judea, hmm. uh, Semites, I think. I think that's right, yeah. Um, smite, smite the energy that are not Jews, uh, that are not Jewish, right? That's an angry, jealous God. 
Yeah, but we would say by modern psychological terms that God needs a therapist for his insecurity in such a case. Yes. <laughs> Only insecure people are jealous and angry. Sorry, when you're whole in yourself, you're not either ang angry or jealous. And for how so, long have we appreciated as a species that jealousy is a shadow emotion? Like pretty long. I think that's pre-psychological, isn't it? <laughs> uh, well, it certainly was out there and is a thread to be... Uh, yeah. uh, 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 shaped into a psychological concept. But the point I want to make here is that non-religious uh, teachers outside of those big three um, would say when there is, when they do aver, aver a God, that it's made of love and nothing else. That is identities, my experience of divine being, it is love and nothing else, no anger, no jealousy. Uh, that's just my realization with it, or my, my experience with it. And love is an emotive dynamic. It's not a thought. Love is not a thought. It can't be defined. Um, you can define some of its effects, but you can't define love itself. I love uh, Dr. Arroway when she's uh, in um, contact. Uh, contact, when she's arguing with uh, Matthew McConaughey's uh, religious uh, scholar, uh, um, uh, and they're arguing, uh, well, I would need some proof, Dr. Arroway says, uh, of this divine thing you're talking about. And he goes, hmm, proof, huh? Uh, did you love your dad? And she, she says, yes, very much. Yes, very much. And he looked at her and said, beat of time, beat of time, half a beat of time, prove it. Mm -hmm. You cannot... Love is not a thing that is definable, that has any sort of measurable dynamical shape to prove it. You can prove it by your actions, but the feeling, the dynamical source that love is, is undefinable by dualistic uh, languaging or concept conceptualizations. So love, if divine beings experienced as human beings in its biggest totality as love, that is, that is an emotive dynamical, not a thought or conceptual dynamical. And if, if we're all progeny, which all the big religions say we are children of God, then we are love first, because we couldn't otherwise be in our naturalist nature love first. And what does that mean? We're emotive first. So this is not this emotional first primacy comes out of a direct linear um, a line, a direct linear unfolding of what we're made of, which is love. And the fact that we deep been malconditioned to default to be will first in this world instead of love first belies the question. So when we, this means that there's no real difference between emotivity and spirituality. You see, uh, emoto soulful beings first, energetic beings second, as an expression, uh, willful beings third, mental beings fourth, physical beings fifth, you could say also, uh, in order if you put energy, plug energy in there. Mm -hmm. And so in that sense, uh, you when you do not relate to emotive primacy of human consciousness, you're going to screen out all the experiences of a love-based God that religion helps you avoid yeah. by their diagnosis of an angry, jealous, patriarchal asshole called Yahweh or Allah or God. Those are all for identity false gods, and that billions, that about 45% of us on the planet regularly believe in that kind of God is 40% um, of us maybe, uh, 
is a sorrow for identity. Not a, well, I'm criticizing the metaphysics here, not the good people who are searching for God in whatever form that would take. Sure. The best thing about religions is that they provide a, a, a context for what's sacred in life and give people time to ruminate on things other than the ABC black and white of every day. And they provide morality for people who wouldn't necessarily have right. any. Absolutely right, even though it's under the the um, uh, 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 sword of Damocles, uh, if you yeah. don't, you go. But that's what young souls need. They need rules. Yeah, they do. So we're not running down the rank and file of good people who don't know how to connect a divine being as anything except through the lens or doorway of religion. We're criticizing the metaphysics and the teachings of the big five or the big three religions in this case. What's tricky so, to talk about, though, that I want to get to with both sainthood and sagehood, but I get we're on sainthood uh, subject at the moment, is how do we bring that down a level to talk about how a person would experience day-to-day, moment-to-moment reality differently when they have some amount of abidement with the divine? It's hard to describe. It is, um, but the the most difficult way let's start with that uh because it's it's all inclusive then we don't miss any beats Mm -hmm. the more you discover the more you heal and remove from your consciousness uh, the emotional body and soulment of identity um, subtracts yourself on the way to your authentic soulful being so the best way to know, to answer this question, how, how can I have an experience of the divine that affects my everyday life? You, you find your soul first. When you mm-hmm. find your authentic, emoto, soulful being that's been malconditioned to be covered over and shoved down, you are at the most patent open door to experiencing God. Because your soul, our soul consciousness, which is buried underneath our personhood, our personal consciousness by bad conditioning, malconditioning, uh, incomplete conditioning, uh, obfuscates our experience of God. So in the most difficult ways to process your way to God, which yes. EBE, EBE does, that's the most difficult. Um, now, but your question also, okay, so yes, okay, let's say that's true. How can you do it today? How, how can you possibly do that today? Or what and, would happen? I mean, that that's the tricky thing yeah. is like to tell someone like, what would it be like to have that kind of abiding experience? It's to say, well, to really answer that question, we'd have to say, um, you'd have to be able to answer what's the difference between you and your soul. Yes. And I was talking with a client recently and it hit me uh-huh. that in soulification, in soulment, that's what the word used yes. for, in soulment, it's like putting together a puzzle when there's no picture on the box. Yes. So you're putting the pieces together, but you don't know what you're putting together. In the beginning, you're just placing pieces and you have no idea what it's going to turn, what you're going to turn into. Wow. Beautiful metaphor. And then, so how will you experience reality differently? Well, you'll be experiencing it more as your own soul. Well, how will that be? Well, in one way, nobody can tell you that. Right. Right. But there are some broad principles we could say, right? That's a good way to put it, yeah. Bree, Bree made a beautiful comment recently, and it's going to be part of uh, what goes on our new website, too, um, that there's no way to teach emotion first. Um, <laughs> no. The, the, the process of learning it is the education. 
It can't be taught. Um, mm-hmm. You have to feel your way through it, not um, linearly visualize your way to it, right? So the education of, of what it means to be spiritual in a, in a moment uh, or emotive in a moment um, has to be dis- is discovered. Uh, things have to be subtracted out of the, the scales have to fall from your eyes to have the heartful experience. And, and just and what I love about you bringing this forward is I just had a momentary tirade and called the God of religions an asshole. Right? <laughs> yes, you did. As much as you were tirading against the incompetency of collective tribalism in, in the modern day, but what was driving both my asshole comment and your tirade? Caring, caring, because the, the good that Judaism, uh, uh, Christianity, and Islam may do is, in our picture of things, tragically equal only, not more than the harm that it does in its pogroms, in its, its theo- theocracy, and mm-hmm. its caliphateism, uh, the suffering that it causes women, all three of those of religions are are absolutely frank patriarchy uh, with a patriarchal God uh, in all three cases. And so how could they not be patriarchal? So in that sense, when I called it that, I was calling out the metaphysics of a false God out of care so people might have room one day to discover the real divinity of love, which you can't do while you're putting in the collection basket support for religions that, that teach a, a, an angry and jealous God. So there's room for human reactivity, our human passion here, our human emotion. But know that both my uh, tirade and Joseph's are based in caring, not egotism or righteousness. It's caring for what could be possible. And when people only hear us in that kind of way as negative um, tiraders, never feel the care that's underneath that drives it mm-hmm. so well and maybe i could be feeling point. more of the care myself that's for sure it's far more comfortable for my shadow to tirade than to express vulnerable care still um, it is um, um, one I, thing I, go ahead well one thing i wanted to insert here because it, it's difficult like i said to get specific about how it changes things but one thing that i notice a lot with clients and in myself is the um, the search for meaningfulness that mm-hmm. the the search for meaningfulness is proof of not abiding with the inherent meaningfulness in life yes you don't have to go looking for meaning it's right here right and exactly. um, sagehood and sainthood both impart some of that and so what mm-hmm. I see in people that it surprises me how much people are looking for meaning in content especially travel Remember that, that Adam Sandler thing I sent you a few days ago? The travel mm-hmm. agent who's telling you, if you're sad now, you're probably going to be sad in Italy. You know, it's <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> so, so funny. And yeah, exactly right. To say, like, this is not going to solve your problems. Um, and it, I find it so ironic that the word travel comes from uh, tripoliare, meaning um, was a torture device in Latin. It literally means torture. Oh. Um, wow. Because it's the same that. root as travails in, in oh, French. Oh, travail, and, travel, yeah. And that's it's the right. same root yeah. as trabajo for work in Spanish. It's, it all comes from the word for torture. Um, it was a, mm. th- a, instead of a cross, it was three sticks that they used to torture people. 
So yeah. the the addiction we have as a species to content, we have to get our next content fix, whether it's sugar or travel or some kind of, or even a spiritual experience. For, for yeah. identity, it's not about pursuing spiritual experiences, um, which is really common. And I definitely got a little bit hooked in uh, in the plant medicine world. You can have spiritual experiences. That doesn't yeah. make you a spiritual being. Yes, that's right. A spiritual being right. is having spiritual experience most of the time, if not all yes. of the time. And right. so they don't need to carve out a segment of time in order to have a certain spiritual experience to contentize it in order to feel that their life is meaningful because they're, they're already coming from meaning into meaning. There's no oh, non-meaning. There's no cooking yes. your eggs in the morning is not a meaningless act or there's no, there's no, no right. meaning because there's no not God anywhere. Yes. So how do we tie all this together? Um, mm. Well, we got, we, we, this is an important rabbit hole we've gotten into the, the, um, the relationship between what looks like judgment and actual caring. Right. So I'd like to just say a few words on that. We complete this okay. piece. And that is that um, passion, uh, what, what I just did with um, the, the God of these big three religions and what Joseph did with the zeitgeist of, um, of uh, uh, the, the Hawaiian situation that helped support the Lahaina tragedy um, is that uh, sometimes passionate discernment looks like judgment. Mm. It looks like judgment. But we would say that this difference is um, judgment is only occurs when you withhold or withdraw love from that, which you just discerned. Okay. So I just discern, I was discerning the metaphysics of the God of the big three religions and tirading against it. That was passionate discernment. Um, but I didn't withdraw love, uh, uh, uh or, or withhold love from the, people who need religion to feel some sense of the sacred. So there's something that doesn't go together uh, in our conditioning very well. People think that passionate discernment means judgment, but judgment is only when you withdraw or withhold love from it in our world anyway. So they can coexist, passionate discernment and love. I want to make that point here. I, I tirade, you remember in the old days, uh, part of me liked, loved a tirade. Um, sure. Um, but I, I remember one time uh, in one, I think before your times, I was, I got on a tirade about something in the world. Uh, and someone said, well, you just proved to me that you're not a man of God because you're angry all the time. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and then person just sat there after you said that like this. And then, uh, someone else stood up and said, uh, um, I got from what you said before, this is someone else speaking to the person that you're a Christian, right? And he was God damn, damn straight. I'm a Christian, you uh -huh. know, he didn't have a Texas drawl, but I had to throw that in. He does. In the, in the dramatization, he does. Nice. That was very meta. <laughs> Sorry. He didn't actually that. have that, but in the story, he does. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Because it captures the bandwidth of his consciousness. Totally. The Texas <laughs> drawl, you know, the Texas drawl. Um, yes. But anyway, um, uh, damn straight, you know, I'm a Christian. And uh, he said, well, how do you explain Jesus and the money changers in the temple? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I use that one. And the guy went like this. Uh, mm -hmm. And he said, I offer, this guy said, I, I could feel 
Daniel, I was called at that time, I could feel Daniel's care all through that tirade. Mm -hmm. But all you saw was anger and then said that he couldn't have God. Well, how do you explain Jesus, who was a son of God by your world view? Mm-hmm. Yet he was also privy to passionate outbursts uh, based in caring. And the guy just went completely mute and, and just got a bad look on his face like this. He, was, yeah. he, couldn't, he couldn't respond. Mm-hmm. But it, what it did was immediately make me cry mm-hmm. because someone felt my care as or the origin of my tirade and not just because I needed to have a truth of mine egotistically expressed. Mm-hmm. And so this is how complexly malconditioned we are that, that all changes when we start coming from here in our personhood, which automatically uh, links our heart immediately always links us to our soul uh, yeah. in the next and I, whenever I tirade like that, I, there's always a me watching to be like, am I really, is there enough care in here? So it's like, I would predict that, uh, you know, a year from now, there'll be more emotivity and less energy for me in those. Oh, there you go. And, sure. you know, it makes me think of, there's this beautiful book that Ajashanti wrote called The Resurrection of Jesus that is a spiritual treatment of the New Testament. Uh-huh. Super cool book. And he talks about scenes like the um, money tables and also uh, the will, um, the, the loneliness scene when he everyone else is asleep and Jesus is awake and yes. that mm-hmm. scene. And he in talks the yeah. in the garden, right? And he talks about the Jesus, the human, and Jesus, the spiritual being, and the sort of continuum um, of, of that. Like, it's not about being the light of God all the time. That's not what Jesus was, even by the Christian yes. accounts, That's nor right. is that what spirituality, real spirituality is actually about. Sometimes that will be what expresses where, you know, the truest or truest aspects a human being can carry come yeah. through and then it might not be so outraged. But other times there's the, there's God moving through the human element and there's um, yeah. passionate dualistic opinions that come through as well. Absolutely. And they're not exclusive. It's- Exactly. Yet the world polarizes those two religions tend to polarize it as shoulds as opposed to a gradient uh, of 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 dynamical bandwidths in the spiritual human. So I always use Martin Luther King Jr. as an example um, for um, good anger. You know, like you can feel how angry he is, but it's not petty. It's not personal. It's it's mostly it's more emotive than it is energetic. There's yes. this boiling anguish in him. Anguish. Yeah. Yes. And exactly. it, you can yep. feel that. So you can tell he's angry, but he doesn't direct yep. that at anyone. And you right. just can't not listen to the guy. Yeah. So would we say like, well, that's just petty human outrage? Like, no, he, he's, he's, he's a channel for truth, embodied truth when he speaks, when he's spoken. Yes. Yep. And it moves people. That's the proof is when it, when it reaches people. And uh, I can hook right onto that. His namesake qualifies for the same thing. Martin, Martin, Luther. Martin Luther, yeah, sure. His rage, mm-hmm. literally, against selling indulgences of the Catholic Church, mm-hmm. where the you can buy from your bishop um, a forgiveness for your sins uh, as long as you fill the coffers of uh, of, the, of the Vatican. 
right? That was his outrage, and he banged that list of. Uh, I was his just gonna say, no, he he did. That's the best part. He's that's what he's most famous for. When people think of him, he nailed his ninety-five yeah. thesis on the door of a church. Nailed it, like Wittenberg. Wow. Yes. Hmm? cathedral in Wittenberg. Okay, yes. The cathedral, yeah, like wow, that takes some balls. Like I'm nailing this to your <laughs> building. Absolutely right, and and look what he what did he he was in. What, what, where did his anger come from? The absolute corruption of the Catholic Church uh, in that situation, which I wish I could say it's my opinion that they have improved since then. Yeah. But that's another whole uh, podcast. Uh, but the idea here is that um, uh, the spirit working through the human sometimes can look non-godly, but it doesn't mean it is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, so, one more thing I wanted to um, sneak in here before we go, and that is because we haven't talked much about sagehood, which if sainthood is difficult to talk about, the realities yes. it illuminates. And we haven't talked about the third eye aspect of it, but not in this episode, but in seeing soul species. Oh, man. Do you know how useful it is to be able to get um, be dealing with a TSA agent or a cop and realize they're a Geffian soul? That can save your ass. So there's yes. being able right. to see soul species, which is for sure a um, an aspect of reality screened out by most people, really changes your life significantly because you know how to relate with people um, just like you would relate usually with a man versus a woman differently. There's 27 different soul species and you relate with them differently. But, um, but the, 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 the backlighting that sagehood mm-hmm. offers is mm-hmm. a very difficult thing to talk about. Um, yes. The most immediate thing that I notice from whatever access I have to it is I can tell when people are lying a lot better than I used to. Ooh, say more about that. How does non-dual access uh, uh, help that? It's what I would say is, and this is all metaphor, and that's I get why the Zen people of the years use so much nature metaphors. It's like my experience is a much stiller pond of reality. So when non true, if the pond is still as a function of truth, then uh-huh. untruth makes ripples in the pond. Well, I guess there can be two different kinds. There's true ripples. Yes. yes. Right. It can ripple true in the stillness right. of the pond, or it can ripple yes. false, yes. and there's a sort of contraction to it. And yes. so I did not. I used to actually be a terrible read of people and social situations, like way below average, um, which is probably the biggest change that I've experienced through identity. Uh, and now I can just I not always certainly, but um, uh, I I I like when I work with clients in the beginning of a session, they just talk. And then I just go based on the ripples. I wait until yes. they say something that ripples false. And then I get curious about it. Yes. That's so easy. It's yeah. so easy. All you got to do is follow the ripples. You don't really have to even understand the, con- I even do this with business clients who are telling me about stuff yeah. I don't necessarily understand in their industry. And this yeah. is happening. And this is happening. And then I just wait for them to say something that ripples false. And then I start asking questions and I find something that needs to be fixed. That's wow. really simplifying. I'm, wow, I, I love that you brought that vector up because most of the time um, when I've done that in the past from my own access to the non-dual, uh, I'm accused of using my third eye to see those <laughs> Well, that's in and, there too. That's what yeah, asks the question. I know, but, but these are two very yeah, different yeah, yeah, yeah. 
uh, I used to teach uh, after I um, woke up from my non-dual notness. Um, I used to teach that uh, when someone asked me, well, "What is it like to have um, your whole dualistic being tabula rasa? You know, your whole mind tabula rasa?" And I said, "Well, there's everything is level. There's no there's no things." taller or shorter than anything else. Everything is all the same in that zone, which is the metaphor in my version here of your, of your still pond. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 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 And so when things stick up pointedly, yeah. um, uh, uh, you know, you're being dualistically invested and that has a, if it's a, if it's a true one, it vibrates a certain way, but when a pointy one comes up that you're invested in a dualistic position, See, there's no dual, there's no positionality in the, in the Zen true world. You, you nothing coalesces coalesces into a position uh, strong enough to call it a position. You're just with things as they are, and so. But there's a different vibration for a lie. So mm -hmm. uh, um, uh, I, I realized this is very similar as you after my event. How much more I could discern of subtle ripples of uh, of either. In overinvested good truth or overinvested not, not untruth, and that's all a function of uh, 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 non-dual enlightened access, not just uh, attributable to, um, for example, third eye, which is part of sainthood and identity. Yeah, but not it makes it makes space for the third eye to operate too. The, the two together work, work very it, well. It does. It does. So there's a very practical integration of personal reality with non-dual sagehood, something that Zen and classical Buddhism cannot do mm. when they ascribe illusionality to the personal. Yeah, so so when, we, when you combine yeah. what we talked about before, the um, being able to read out and feel people's unconscious emotion, emotive motives, yes. when you add that with third yes. eye images and information that you get from people and also yes. this like sagehood level true false thing yes that's a pretty different way of processing reality it certainly <laughs> is from where i came from you could say that you could say that uh i i once said exactly in that way i once uh, was uh, i was actually was doing a zen more of a zen themed talk uh um at, at way before i met you and uh the person uh, listened and, and they said, well, I'm having cognitive dissonance right now. And I said, usually that's a good thing. Uh, what are you cognitively dissonant about? He goes, you have way too much excess personality to be enlightened. <laughs> Yet I can feel the fact that you are. So I don't know how to put that together because most of these dudes, you know, that are, um, are, are fairly unemotionally, uh, um, colorful and, uh, I said, well, I'm, I'm an Enneagram four, so that helps a bit, but mm -hmm. I, uh, there's that livability of these kinds of esoteric things, uh, third eyes, esoteric and, and sainthood and, and non-dual course and sage, um, th those kinds of things can coexist with juicy humanity, mm -hmm. not mm -hmm. stayed weirdness or, um, out there, um, uh, uh, dramatizations of what ESP isn't, for example. Mm -hmm. uh, so in this sense, uh, I love that you brought that in that both that sagehood also involves perceptual acuity in bandwidth that the mind simply 
uh, cannot uh, capture. Another good detail example, and I know you have this ability as well, is when someone asks a question that's not actually the question that they have. Uh-huh. <laughs> that's a real oh, yeah. classic teacher thing. You learn to be able to read the frequency of that. You just feel it. Someone will yeah. ask a question and it appears really sincere and you just, you just get a I could yeah. answer that, but I don't. I don't. I don't want to because I can yeah. tell that's not. And that's a combination of third eye, the still yeah. pond, and the emotional motives, especially the emotional motives, because you can feel something in there has twisted itself into some contortion to be able to ask a question that's not really what their question is. There's a yes, yes, a, a movement back, a contraction, and a something forward at the same time. That just happened to me this morning. Oh boy, I love that you say that. I have a quick example of that. Uh, once someone said, um, uh, "How can?" And this person was really in a lot of pain. Mm-hmm. How can there be a God and allow the evil in the world? And uh, mm-hmm. I said, "Well, I could answer that for metaphysics, from a metaphysical point of view, um, very easily. But what I'm really feeling you're asking is, God, I want you. Mm-hmm. Where are you?" Mm-hmm. And that changed the valence of this person completely in that moment. And then we were down to brass text because I felt the unconscious motive that precipitated that very desperate kind of, um, that, yeah. that was an easy one. That's an easy yeah. one. Yeah. Imagine yeah. to be able to feel that on an everyday basis. Yeah. And well, the result of that is you stop wasting so much time having superficial conversations because you get right down to what's actually being talked about, whether it's yes. being initially named or not. Right. Right. Uh, and that's the healing of the split between the inside and the outside. Absolutely. That's Absolutely. why small talk becomes difficult. But you've been saying you've been starting to enjoy small talk in some small doses. <laughs> Well, I wouldn't say enjoyment with a capital E, uh, <laughs> but I have gotten more facile uh, mm-hmm. in um, finding bandwidths of small talk that doesn't uh, repel me or bore me. Um, mm-hmm. uh, when you're based in, when you can think paradigmatically, mm-hmm. it's a, that is such a high order function of consciousness compared to small talk. So how about the Mets, or, you know, or... Uh, yeah, but uh, what's you... painful for me about that is they say, how about those Mets? And what I hear is, I need to talk about, I need to find some content common ground so I feel comfortable talking to you. And then yes. I just get confused. Where it's like, wait, do you, what, what do you want? What? <laughs> what oh, are we God. doing? Oh, boy. Yeah. So, and that's not running down consciousness that only knows how to small talk. That's younger souls. It's all okay. But where do people think uh, the vision to recognize soul species uh, or the vision to recognize um, uh, age of age of our incarnation and what that means to how we are with each other? uh, Where does that come from? It comes from personal Sage, sagely and saintly uh, uh, um, uh, transmutations that happen when you start to address healing the meta, the meta existential terrors of being, not being, and non-being, which is another whole uh, story below all of our woundings that are just downstream uh, versions of those three. So in this sense, um, boy, we've covered a lot of ground today uh, about the majority of reality bandwidths that are screened by uh, emotional and spiritual levels screened by our malconditioning. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, that was what today. Beautiful.
Yeah, thanks. I love how you've summarized these 18 points. Uh, I, I would not have languaged them all the way that you did, but the way you did is so helpful to open doors. Mm, thank so. you. Yeah, well, the next one we have on the list is, I don't know if we can make a podcast out of this, but uh, I don't know if I could. I, I'm sure you could. Number uh -huh. five, that you have a specific purpose for being here. Mm -hmm. Well, actually, now that I say it, I think I, I would have things to say about it. Oh, yeah, we'll have no trouble filling the podcast yeah. with that. Why, why are we here? One of the three most important questions of the human race. Yes. Who are we? What are we? And why are we? Uh, that's what we start with in the identity. All right. Thank you, Stace. Thank you, listeners. If you guys have questions, let me know. You know how to reach me. Until then, <laughs> we'll talk to you next time. Bye for now. Thanks for listening to the Heart of Soul podcast. To learn more about Stace Barron and Identity, please visit identity.org. To learn more about Joseph Shapiro, visit clearandopen.com. Until next time, we wish you well on your journey.